This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. People Talk is where we talk about all things HR, all things related to work, think life balance, and just trying to survive in this crazy world. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Today, we're going to talk about something called positive um, psychology and an extension of that positive organizational behavior. So I graduated from Florida State University. I have a degree, a PhD in business administration. But my major was um, organizational behavior and human resources. You may say, what is organizational behavior? Um, We all know what human resources are. Organizational behavior is essentially you're trying to apply psychological concepts and applying them um, in organizations to understand how individuals, dyads, um, that's people one-on-one with another person, um, teams, and the larger organization um, behaves, feels, responds to things. And so the movement of positive organizational behavior started about 20 years ago. And it's an offshoot from the field of positive psychology. So what positive psychology was, um, was started off with the notion that, you know, psychology is typically looking at mental illness, dysfunction, unhappiness, things that people would associate with being negative. But there's more than that with human beings. And even if a person does have some type of um, mental illness, or they have some other types of you know, things that we wouldn't consider necessarily to be positive, that they can um, still have aspects of them which are very positive. And we are only concentrating on the negative. Matter of fact, um, can think about like all of the people who are very, very brilliant, but may display some behaviors that would people would associate with being in an autism spectrum disorder. I mean, you, you know, sometimes you can't disentangle what you would consider quote unquote normal with what you would consider um, something that is quote unquote abnormal. So that brings us to positive organizational behavior. And it's instead of looking at employees as possible problems, possible victims, possible people are going to steal from you, possible people who are going to just cause you some level of grief, people that you need to just micromanage because you just can't trust them. 
let's start looking at positive aspect to people, okay? Let's start looking about all the things that our employees do for us. All the times employees go the extra mile, all the times the employee does things that, um, you know, that is not expected of them. Um, I challenge you to do this. This is a challenge coming from Angela. Try to write down every single thing you do in your job and write it down on a sheet of paper and then go back to that sheet of paper a week from now. I bet you've forgotten 10 or 15 things, right? Because we're always growing and creating. So what I think is important is that we look at positive organizational behavior and think of it as another way of looking at how we interact with employees, how we structure things. And when I first heard about positive organizational behavior 20 years ago when I was in my PhD program, I'm like, oh, this sounds like, you know, some touchy-feely, new age, crystal-y type of stuff. I'm not poo-pooing touchy-feely, new age, crystal-y things at all. But it sounded like something that, you know, might be trendy and something that wouldn't be substantive. But with the events that have happened in the past year with the pandemic, with um, Breonna Taylor, with George Floyd, with you know all these horrible things that are happening in the world, we've also seen a lot of resilience, right? And we've also seen ways of people stretching themselves in ways they haven't done before. Think about people who never really did much in a way of like helping out their community, or at least that wasn't at the forefront, doing things like going grocery shopping for neighbors who were too at risk to go out during the pandemic, or sewing masks, or supporting healthcare workers, and doing things like that. So the notion of positive organizational behavior really has a lot more in my mind um, meaning now, now that people are reevaluating their lives, uh, reevaluating what's important to them and reevaluating what it means to be a worker and just to be a human being. So I was thinking about positive organizational behavior within the context of what we would call like diversity management type of issues, like DEI um, issues. And I was thinking about something that I had attended. Um, well, I was actually a, a facilitator in some anti-racist path training at uh, Michigan State University. And anti-racist path training is amazing. I would suggest that you Google it. They have a resource list um, and they have a bunch of readings and things like that. And the anti-racist um, path training is to teach, really it's primarily toward um, white people and how they can be allies and how they can help people who have been historically marginalized in the workplace. So let's take a look at this. That's, that is definitely positive organizational behavior or positive psychology. We're looking at someone doing something that doesn't directly impact themselves. And I saw it in action. People who are going to this training, they had to literally take time away from their regular job to do that. They're doing this training voluntarily so they know how to advocate for people. 
And it was couched in a term of anti-racist training, but it really could have been couched in the terms of anti-blankism race uh, training. It could have been anti-sexism or anti-Semitism training, or it could have been anti-homophobia um, uh, training or anti, um, you know, Asian hate training. It was showing how to, even though I guess that that would be captured in race, but it what I, I think that when they originally were looking at this, they were probably looking this more as in um, people who were Black, Hispanic, Native American. But even now, things have evolved where we're really realizing that um, we haven't given the, the attention to um, discrimination and, and hate toward Asian Americans that was due. And I mean, um, I can't go and vote the people in mind who did this training, but I, I'm, you know, just during the course of being in a training for the past several months, I've seen like the conversations evolve. Maybe that's how I should word it. So these, so there are people who are conducting this training, the people who are taking time to attend this training, they're doing that for the ability to find the tools, the empowerment, the language to say, hey, that's not something that you should um, do um, or how to be an ally. What is good allyship and how it is to listen or how it is when there's a marginalized group, you don't make the conversation about how my senior being marginalized hurts me. It's about how can I help you? How can I be an ally? How can I be a resource for you? And so that was very, I mean, that is an example of positive uh, organizational behavior at work. Um, people are thinking about things that are beyond themselves. One thing that I think is interesting about the positive organizational behavior movement, once again, it had me thinking, it's like, well, I was reading about the top challenges about DEI, um, uh, I'm sorry, of 2021 for HR. And one of the things was, okay, you've raised the issue. You say that we need more diversity, equity, inclusion. Now what? We've done surveys, we've issued a statement, and now what? So it may be more defeating. It may be also a situation where like the efforts for DEI may be, um, may actually go a step forward, but may take a step or two back if the words are not supported with action, resources, things like that, and having a climate that fosters diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'll give you an example. Um, organizations need to look deep down and figure out like, where are we recruiting from? Do we always go to these certain types of schools or all these sources? Can we cast a wider net? What are we doing to develop people from across the spectrum of all you know, races, gender identities, national backgrounds, educational backgrounds? Also, I did a, a podcast recently about is college worth it? 
And we know that college is worth it. That on average, that college workers make about 67, I mean, college graduates make about 67% more than someone who had just high school. However, there are occasions where there are paths to having a good job, which don't necessarily go through college. I was watching the news a couple of days ago and there was an, um, a, uh, and there was a story about a major financial company which is offering routes to having these great jobs in the financial industry without going to college. And so, you know, there are other ways for people to be included in your organization. And maybe college should not be a barrier for someone if they can demonstrate that um, they have the knowledge, skills, abilities to perform the job. And that might sound weird coming from a college professor, but we know that when it comes to college, even though there are benefits from going to it, we also know that the downside of college, and yes, there's a downside to college, um, is often borne out more so by historically marginalized workers. Case in point, um, historically marginalized people have typically gone to the schools which are, for example, uh, for-profit schools or schools that are not elite schools. And those schools oftentimes um, don't offer the same type of financial aid package. So we know that, for example, among African-Americans, that Africans-Americans have significantly more college debt coming out of college, but they're coming out of a lower ranked college on average and they're starting jobs that are paying, being paid less. So when you can find other alternative paths, alternative paths to careers within an organization, that can be very helpful to um, including DEI. Like I said, all of this is important because if an organization just talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk, it may set back any types of efforts that they may have for adversity, equity, inclusion. It can make um, people feel further marginalized, like, oh, this is just putting on a show. And then thirdly, it could be a situation where people are like, wow, you did this only to feel good about yourself, not because you really wanted to ameliorate or, or improve the lives of someone who has been historically marginalized. I and when I say historically marginalized, I'm not just talking about race. Um, next week on my podcast, I'm gonna talk about the divide between the manufacturing or the blue collar workers and the white collar workers. So I grew up in Chicago and when I was 17, my family moved to Florida. And then I spent most of my life, except for the time I went away to college at NYU and I was just trying to survive college. Um, I spent my, my life until I was almost 40 in the South. And so it was a situation where I wasn't around a lot of manufacturing, I was around a lot of service, especially in Florida, home at Disney, things like that. Um, but in here in Michigan, you know, manufacturing is a big part of our economy. And you see the divide between people who are working on the line and people who are 
um, you know, white collar workers. And so ways that we can find to close that gap it are, are very important. And that's something else that I'm gonna talk about next week. I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole too much now because I want you all to be um, um, wanting to hear what I'm talking about next week. Um, if you are interested as a little preview, I was recently cited in Yahoo News article about uh, Ford's decision to offer a hybrid work model for people to work at um, to work at home or work wherever they want to. But those have implications for, you know, different implications for white collar versus blue collar workers. So in sum, when we're talking about what it means to have positive organizational behavior. It means to embrace what is good about human beings, what is good about the workers, looking at people's potential rather than looking at people's deficits. Another aspect that I think is really important is the notion when you look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, or when you're looking or trying to um, like have DEI initiatives to not always come from this as a, from the perspective of marginalization, discrimination, and things like that. That was a really important part of the anti-racism path training that I was a part of. And I learned from others about this in the training who are more expert on that issue than I am. And it's a situation where you have folks who are, you know, if you concentrate only on the negative, you don't look at all the, the, the wonderful things people from different backgrounds can bring. And when you only concentrate on the discrimination and on the marginalization, as opposed to the potential contribution, you're concentrating and the negative, the deficit, and that in of itself can be a thing that will limit or hinder the um, development and the flourishing of underrepresented populations. I heard a joke um, a while back and it talked about like what would happen if we closed the borders to this country and like nobody could ever have come into this country, right? And I just think that's interesting. I'm a first generation American. My parents came from Panama, but someone put in there, they post in tongue in cheek, we wouldn't have really good food. So think about it like a lot of our favorite food comes from different countries, right? I had the best spinach chat Indian food over um, this weekend. It had like spinach and avocado. I was like, oh my gosh, if I could divorce my husband and marry to spinach chat, I would. I would never have had that if we didn't have open borders. Uh, my husband had Mexican food tonight. My, my family with the Caribbean food and the, the Latin American food, so think about it and in the context of, of food, if that's a good, that's a, to me, that, that's a good um, analogy or a good metaphor. It's that if you think about positive organizational behavior and, and diversity, think about having a um, picnic with 
peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and that's all you have. And peanut butter and jelly can be fine. It, I mean, provided you're not allergic to peanuts and that's a story for another day. But um, that would be boring. But think about it and having all the best international food, right? And thinking about having all the people like with different types of music and different types of people from different age groups who can talk about different experiences. It just seems a little bit more interesting, doesn't it? So on that note, I'm going to end this episode of People Talk. Thank you so much for listening to me. And I hope that you um, join me again for next week when I, we're going to talk about how to bridge the divide between white collar and blue collar workers. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.